0: Regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with us on the program today. We have a, a great show for you coming up here in a matter of moments. We're going to be joined by uh, Chuck Michelle. He is the head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Also, 2nd uh, amendment attorney and scholar Stephen Halbrook. Uh, who has argued uh, Second Amendment cases before the Supreme Court, uh, has authored a number of books, including a brand new book uh, dealing with the right to keep and bear arms. They're going to join us talking about the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett case, which, of course, is a case that the Supreme Court uh, has agreed to hear oral arguments coming up this fall. It could be, I mean, it really could be a year from now uh, before we get a decision in that case. But uh, already, you're seeing a lot of work behind the scenes. Folks are drafting amicus briefs. Uh, organizations are trying to figure out, okay, what do we want to say? What, what, what tack do we want to take here? Uh, both in terms of you know pro-Second Amendment organizations who want to see New York's carry laws overturned, uh, as well as the gun control groups who want to see the type of restrictive and discriminatory may-issue laws that are in place in New York State be viewed as constitutional, Uh, by the Supreme Court. And by the way, speaking of court cases, you know, the Second Amendment Foundation has a proven record of winning court cases that protect the Second Amendment and secure your right to keep and bear arms. We can count on them to defend our rights from the radical left's overreach. We've spoken with Alan Gottlieb, the executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation, on this program many times before. But time is running out. We know the Democrats are coming for our guns. Second Amendment Foundation, however, they will not play defense. They are proactive in the fight to stop the gun grabbers, and I know that they're not going to let us down. If you would like to join the Second Amendment Foundation and be a part of that fight, you can text JOINSAF, that's J-O-I-N-S-A-F, and just text 474747. Text JOINSAF to 474747 to show your support for the Second Amendment Foundation's hard work and to defend your right. To keep and bear arms. Now, let's turn our attention to our conversation with a couple of other Second Amendment defenders, Chuck Michelle and uh, Steve Halbrook of the Second Amendment Law Center, talking about uh, this upcoming case that the Supreme Court is going to hear dealing with our right to keep and bear arms. Well, I am very pleased to have with us on the program a couple of uh, of the brightest legal minds when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms that I am aware of. We have Mr. Chuck Michelle, who is the uh, president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, also general counsel for that organization. We have Second Amendment attorney and scholar Stephen Halbrook with us as well. Uh, Stephen has a brand new book that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But the main topic of discussion today the Supreme Court and the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett case uh, that the court will be hearing later this year. So, Chuck, let me start with you. I mean, obviously, there are a number of carry cases that have come out of California and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We still have Young versus Hawaii. Um, What what was your reaction when you heard that the court was accepting uh, this case dealing with New York State's uh, may issue concealed carry licensing laws.
1: OMG, finally, it's about time. You know, we've been waiting 11 years for the Supreme Court to, to set the record straight. There's been an awful lot of, excuse me, COVID, an awful <laughs> lot of um, of um, misunderstanding and deliberate misinterpretation of the Heller decision by the lower courts since uh, Uh, 2008, and then McDonald in 2010. And, uh, and really, it's about time for the Supreme Court to put its foot down and tell these courts they've been interpreting those cases wrong, and that they need to uh, raise the standard of review. In other words, increase the level of of scrutiny and, uh, and the burden of, of the government to prove that when they pass some kind of a law, they can't just say, oh, it's public safety. They have to justify the restriction on the rights in order for that law to pass uh, the Second Amendment's uh, uh, constitutional test. And and, and
0: Stephen, um, I'll, I'll ask you the same question, but I've got a follow-up uh, for both of you guys as well. Um, were you just as uh, thrilled to see the Supreme Court accept this case as Chuck was?
2: Oh, absolutely. And the reason I'm thrilled is that uh, we have the the recent Promotion to the court of Amy Coney Barrett, and that seemed to have changed the balance and so you know it takes only four justices to say we're going to grant cert and hear a case, but they don't want to do that if they don't have five votes and and the fact then that that they did grant cert I think um the justices who would vote the right way seem to have confidence that the court will rule the right right way at least with five votes um the, the the justices who are on the court that make up that five, um, all of them have a record in Second Amendment issues. Uh, Justice Thomas has been a stalwart trying to get the court to rein in the lower courts and, and accept the clear meaning of the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. They act like that doesn't exist. Um Justice Gorsuch, um, uh, Alito, he wrote the um, um, the McDonald opinion, uh, and I was about to say Gorsuch had a, a record on Second Amendment issues on, on the Tenth Circuit, as um, Justice uh, Kavanaugh argued hell or two in front of him. He dissented, and he would have held the D.C. registration system and the D.C. ban on modern sporting rifles to be unconstitutional under the Second Amendment a very well-written dissenting opinion in Heller 2. And then uh, Justice Barrett also had um, actually two opinions she wrote as a Seventh Circuit uh, judge. One of them that got the most attention was that um, you can't just ban possession of a firearm by a person who has a nonviolent felony conviction without showing something more than just that. Uh, But there was also a, a, a Fourth Amendment search and seizure case that was kind of ignored that Uh, She held, she wrote the opinion for the court that police, if they get a report that a firearm is is in a vehicle, they can't just do a stop and frisk of the vehicle, so to speak, um, because the right to bear arms is protected by the Constitution. So um, I'm optimistic. I mean, cases have a way of getting sidetracked. New York weaseled out of their previous, New York City weaseled out of a case last term by mooting the case out by changing its law. It said, this law is so important to protect public safety. And then all of a sudden that vanished. Uh, Oh, never mind. Uh, the old Roseanne Rosanna now. <laughs> and, um, uh, so I'm looking forward to participating in the case and doing one of the amicus briefs. And I think everybody, uh, is, is elated in the second amendment community. And then of course the Anti-gun community—they're running scared. They're saying, "What a horrible thing it is that the Supreme Court's going to hear this case."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're freaking out. It's the gun apocalypse that uh, that is coming with the Supreme Court decision. Um, but but let me ask you a, a follow-up. And Chuck, I'm going to ask you the same question as well. So we did see the court change the question that the uh, that the plaintiffs had raised. Um, uh, Paul Clement, the uh, former Solicitor General, who's representing New York State Rifle and Pistol Association and these individual plaintiffs said the, he wanted the court to answer the question whether or not the Second Amendment extends outside of the home. Do you have a right to bear arms? And the court said, well, we're not going to answer that question specifically. We're going to answer the question as to whether or not these individual plaintiffs had their Second Amendment rights denied uh, when their carry licenses were rejected. Is, does that give you any pause or any concern, or is this just sort of the, the normal business of the court?
2: Uh, it gives me no concern, whatever, and, and here's why. First of all, possession of a firearm in New York, defined as a pistol or revolver, is a a misdemeanor. It's it's a uh, unlawful possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. You can get up to a year in prison for that. Um, there's an exemption for a person who has a premises license or a person who has a, a license to carry concealed a firearm that is a pistol or revolver. Um, Open carry is absolutely prohibited. There is no license for it. So all the court really did is to rewrite the question presented in line with what New York law allows. If if a person can get a license, of course, most people cannot because they cannot show good cause, which is defined any way uh, the issuing authorities want it to mean. Mm-hmm. So um, th- I know there's been a lot commented about that, but it, it's it's in line with uh, New York law and. There's been a lot of discussion about okay you you can ban concealed carry, but not open carry, but I mean from the very beginning, the early state cases said that well, you can't ban both, so if you ban concealed carry, you cannot ban open carry, and so that's all I think that's going on here um and in the case of new york they've they've chosen to ban open carry absolutely, so the only alternative is is concealed carry.
0: All right, Chuck. I'm going to ask you the same question. Are are you concerned at all that the uh, the way this question is phrased may limit the the court's ruling to New York State and and leave uh, California and Hawaii and Maryland and Massachusetts and New Jersey and some of these other may issue states untouched?
1: Well, I I don't think they're even with the narrowed question, I don't think they can avoid addressing the gen- some of the general issues. But it may not the, the decision could be narrow, and it may not specifically strike down uh, California's scheme, for example, or Hawaii's. Uh, but generally, California is probably uh, worse uh, than than New York in some in, in some counties. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it differs county to county, and Hawaii certainly is. I, I am a little nervous about. Them getting sucked into this quagmire of open carry versus concealed carry. What's the ultimate right? You know, the position that we've taken is you can regulate the manner of carry. Maybe you can say you can't carry openly; you have to carry concealed, or vice versa. But you can't ban both. And the courts going to uh, ultimately, I think, confirm that, affirm that, and uh, uh, and uh, give us something that we can use not just for the bear arms outside the home, carry arms outside the home question. But the biggest problem that the lower courts have been presenting for uh, those of us who want to challenge the the, the constitutionality of these laws is the the overall approach. And that that shift is going from sort of a conventional first amendment, tiers of, of scrutiny, levels of review. Is it part of the fundamental right? Is it political speech? Is it commercial speech? Where on the scale is its level of protection? All of that, you know, Steve and I were sitting in the Heller oral arguments as Justice Scalia and Justice Roberts laughed about that uh, uh, convoluted uh, test that has evolved in First Amendment jurisprudence and said, why, if we are starting over, would we want to apply some kind of of a ultra complicated and subjective uh, subject to subjective influence tests like that in the second amendment. So what we're going to evolve into is originalism, which is the text history and tradition. Basically, you're just trying to figure out what did the farmer, what did the framers mean to do? What were they trying to say when they passed this? Uh, And, and uh, not get into all these levels of scrutiny and just see if this is something that would have been tolerated when they passed it. And this clearly was not. And that's why Steve's book is so, so uh, important right now, because he there's now Bloomberg has shifted his strategy over to now trying to dispute history and rewrite history so that they can now use that as the reason why uh, uh, gun laws that accomplish nothing will be won't be struck down and give lower courts an excuse. So Steve's book sets that history straight. I'm sure it will be cited in a lot of Uh, amicus briefs, including one for the Second Amendment Law Center, by the way, which Steve and I have recently put together along with uh, the A-team of Second Amendment lawyers from across the country.
0: That is fantastic. And that that brings me to uh, Steve's new book, The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. Obviously, uh, in New York and California, it is uh, a privilege of the ruling class. I mean, if you are powerful, if you are connected, if you can make sizable political donations to uh, independent campaigns for the county sheriff, you might uh, find yourself in the receiving end of a concealed carry license. But if you are, you know, the the average employee of a bodega or a convenience store, or you are a responsible gun owner who lives in a bad neighborhood, that's probably not going to get you a, 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 a carry license in some of these may issue jurisdictions um, and, and so, Stephen, I mean, let's talk about your new book for a second. Obviously, you get into this issue, but but do you explore the the history of the the right to bear arms as it has been practiced in the United States? And and I'm I'm curious, I mean, has it been seen as a right? Has it been seen as a privilege or do we have a, a mix of both uh, of views in our nation's history?
2: Well, um, here's the cover Uh <laughs> Um, and it's it's available both on Kindle and print, and it, it it covers everything. I mean, we have a, an analysis of the text. Who could ignore the text except the Ninth Circuit? Um, the, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I mean, it's right there. And um, the dissent in the Young case says that uh, well, the the majority opinion reduces the Second Amendment's language to uh, an ink blot. It's like they don't even talk about the meaning of the right to bear arms. And it says the people. I mean, nothing could be clearer. You've got judges, oh, they're so so intelligent, and they're telling you that the people don't have a right to bear arms because they they have some intermediate scrutiny mumbo-jumbo they made up. Uh, What the book does, though, after we go through the text, is to go through the long history. Uh, You know, one of the starting points for regulation in, in England medieval England was the Statute of Northampton, passed in 1328. Edward III was the king, and there are actually academics in this country who argue that the Statute of Northampton overrides the language of the Second Amendment. I mean, they say that explicitly. And then you have some courts parroting that. So what I did in the book was to go through all these old English statutes and and constantly reminding people that we had a revolution. We don't go by this stuff. Um, you, you, they had property qualifications for the right to bear arms. Um, or you had to have license of the king. That was a phrase that they, they used. Can you imagine our founders accepting anything like that? Uh, but then in, in England, it changes. The Declaration of Rights of 1689 declares the right of Protestants to have arms. Um, we We even went further than that. And from the founding, we've had this right. There, there's no uh, significant restriction on the right to bear arms in the American colonial, colonial or early, um, or founding or early republic, other than guess what? Uh, for example, slaves were barred from having arms at all, and free blacks had to get a license, just like the New York license. It was discretionary issuance. Free blacks were not considered to have the rights of citizens. And they were required to get a license in the southern states to to carry an arm, so we go through all that history and and basically it comes down to one one thing that kind of surprised me we've always accepted that it was um held early on that you could ban concealed weapons, but there was only a few southern states that did that, plus the states of Indiana and Ohio by the time of the Civil War. those were the only states that banned concealed weapons, which weren't banned really in um in, in New York, until the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, and in Massachusetts, I mean, in Massachusetts, you could you could carry arms without molestation from the police up until the turn of the centuries. So we we don't have this long history of regulation. It's mostly a 20th century phenomenon. And uh, so when we talk about the the test of text, history, and tradition, we just don't have the history and tradition of um, these regulations that are considered to be legitimate, even though they override the Second Amendment.
0: Yeah, and and again, I mean, as you say, the, the, those traditions that we do have um, are, are are far later uh, in their implementation than the Bill of Rights. I mean, you look at the Sullivan Act uh, in New York that was yeah. you know put in effect in 1911, uh, and as you say, a lot of these uh, regulations on the the uh, the carrying of concealed firearms put in place you know uh, in the mid 1800s. As opposed to the 1790s. But it is interesting because, you know, we have seen, as you kind of alluded to in the majority opinion in Young versus Hawaii, the, the Ninth Circuit basically said, well, not only does the statute of Northampton uh, trump the Constitution, but, uh, you know, a territorial uh, a law in Hawaii, uh, the, 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 the law of the kingdom of Hawaii, right. uh, which I'm no longer right. exists, trumps the, uh, the U.S. Right. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Is this case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett, is this an opportunity? Do you agree with, uh, with Chuck that this is a case where the Supreme Court can actually say, look, stop playing these games. Here's the standard of review that we need to be using when we're talking about the right to keep and bear arms.
2: Oh, yeah, I think the chances are best that they'll use text, history and tradition. They won't go into these these tests that the judges made up um, it says shall not be infringed i mean that's pretty clear it says the right of the people to bear arms what what more is there to say and and if you want to go into all this lengthy history this tortured history you can you can expose what has been said about it like for example one of the medieval laws that uh, came out of england was that you couldn't carry arms or carry arms concealed uh if you did so in preparation for for robbing, kidnapping, and killing people, and what does the Ninth Circuit do? It says that meant you they banned concealed weapons, and it crossed out the part of the quote about laying in wait to to rob and and kidnap and kill people. I mean, that was just a horrible. Uh, I don't I don't know. Want to use the word dishonest? I think a clerk did that, and probably the judge who wrote the opinion didn't know it. But I mean, it's just strange credibility that you would have this kind of sloppy scholarship. And so what do they do? They uphold a ban on con- not just concealed carry, which they did in Peruta. Now they banned op- or said the second amendment doesn't protect open carry either other than for a few security guards who get a a, 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 permit, like, like the dissenting judge said, the second amendment doesn't say the right to bear arms by security guards.
0: Absolutely not. Uh, and, and so Chuck, let me ask you a question because I, you know, I know that Young versus Hawaii is still out there. It's not gotten up to the Supreme Court yet. It'll be a while before that uh, goes to conference, maybe even the fall before the uh, Supreme Court decides what, if anything, to do with that case. Given just the egregiously awful uh, majority opinion, I have a hard time seeing the Supreme Court just letting that slide by without comment. Um, How do you think the court ultimately addresses Young versus Hawaii? Do you think they could try to roll that case into uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett? Do you think they could uh, grant cert separately, or is this just a case that maybe they'll they'll reference uh, in their opinion when they take up the New York carry case?
1: Well, and that's a good question, and I don't know the answer. They have those three options. They could take it and consolidate it. I don't think that's likely because it just complicates the whole, you know, they, they like things as clean as possible. Mm-hmm. They could grant and hold, grant cert so the decision doesn't become final and then hold it until they issue the New York decision and then remand it with instructions to reconsider in light of New York. Uh, uh, or they could just leave it be, and it would, it would basically be overruled if it becomes final. They could, they could say, we're not going to accept it for cert, and, but when the New York decision becomes final, we'll be filing another lawsuit against Hawaii to undo the Young decision in light of the new New York decision. Okay. So it's hard to say what their preference would be, but I would say if I was, you know, a betting man, I'd say they would grant and hold it, and and then remand it after New York comes, the New York decision comes down. All this right. Well, listen, June, a year from now, we've got to wait a year for that.
0: I, I know. I was going to say, uh, and and in the months ahead, I know that we're going to continue this conversation because uh, both of you are going to be writing amicus briefs. We are going to see a a flurry of legal briefs going into the court. Uh, but before we let you go, I, I want to ask because, Steve, you mentioned uh, a case that uh, got a lot of attention when Amy Coney Barrett was being confirmed. That was a, a case uh, dealing, as you say, with a, a nonviolent felony offender who wanted to have his rights restored. Uh, and Amy Coney Barrett talked about how the, the standard in that case really should be dangerousness, not just a, a civil felony conviction. While the court did grant cert in the New York Carry case, they did also turn away. Uh, a number of other cases dealing with this very issue. nonviolent felons, in one case was an individual who had been involuntarily committed to a mental institution at uh, the age of seventeen and has actually had his rights restored by the state of Washington where he lives, but can't get his rights restored federally. Were you surprised that the court didn't accept any of those cases, or is this something that either, you know the 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 justices have their their plan and their strategy, and these cases uh, maybe just don't fit? into the, uh, the the current strategy that they're looking at? They're taking things one step at a time?
2: It's, it's a one-step approach. I mean, the I think the, the biggest issue that affects the most people, uh, there's only eight of the 42 states that have discretionary license issuance for carry, but, but they're popular states. It's California, New York, and some others like that. And, and the issue is important. And why not, from a justice's perspective, Uh, get into how we evaluate Second Amendment cases. The lower courts act like, oh, we're so confused. We didn't get much guidance from Heller and McDonald, although they got a lot. I mean, look, right there in Heller, it says fair means carry. Um, But look, um, they they don't do everything at once. It's also, it'd be a bigger step. I mean, why not clear the air, talk about how we evaluate Second Amendment cases, text history, tradition, standard of review, things like that, before we get into this this pit of like um, dis- legal disabilities, and, which include like prior mental commitments or, you know, felonies, everything's a felony nowadays. There's way too many felonies, things that were mal and uh, prohibited, prohibited only because they, the legislature made them prohibited. They weren't evil acts in themselves. And so uh, J- Judge Barrett, in her opinion, went into those factors uh, and, and question this total ban. Uh, lower courts are grappling with that issue as we speak. Some of them allow an as-applied challenge to uh, the, their legal disability. In other words, you're not going to just get, go across the board and say, for example, all misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence uh, are, are, are are not disabling under the Second Amendment. Um, it, it might be as applied to you. Like, let's say I've got six convictions of that type in the last five years. I'm not a good candidate to challenge that law, but if, if I had something where I pled guilty without counsel when I was basically a teenager and now I'm 60, this this ban still applies to me. I, there's there's a lot of work to do in that, and the lower courts are uh, grappling with those issues to some extent.
1: And so after the Supreme Court set, resets the bar, that,
2: that, that, that New
1: York case, will not be like the case that strikes down every gun control law. Mm -hmm. It's going to be narrow, but it's going to have a new approach laid out that can then, it will be a hard reset uh, on the cases that have applied the wrong test and the wrong approach to evaluating Second Amendment constitutionality. And so all of those prohibited people cases, prohibited guns cases, prohibited places cases, you know all the different ways that the gunman lobby tries to regulate guns or flat out ban them and 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 make it impossible to own one uh, all of those restrictions all of that strategy that they've been pushing is going to be subject to a a new a renewed challenge which is why uh Steve and I uh agreed the second amendment law center was so important because there's going to be another wave of Second Amendment litigation in the wake of the New York decision we anticipate that will uh, address some of those cases that have either got it wrong or avoided the issues uh, that needed to be addressed.
0: All right. And folks can find the Second Amendment Law Center online, by the way, at uh, 2ALC. Dot .org. I'm really really excited that you guys have uh, started this organization. I want to talk with you uh, more about it in the uh, near future, but uh, I want to thank you both as well for coming on the program today. I, I wish we had we could talk for hours uh, about this case and we probably will. Uh, it'll just be over the course yeah. of, you know, the next several months. But uh, but thank you both for your time and I look forward to doing this again very very soon. Appreciate both Steven and Chuck joining us on the program. I have uh, Steve's new book in my uh, Amazon cart. I'm looking forward to getting a chance to uh, read that. Maybe even this weekend I will uh, crack that open. Uh, Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there uh, with a uh, fairly bizarre headline. Algona man on probation for four years after shooting a shotgun at another person. Yes, this is from uh, Algona, Iowa, where a Pocahontas County District Judge originally sentenced the defendant in this case Joshua Schmidt to 10 years in prison because he tried to kill somebody with a uh, sawed-off shotgun and then he suspended that 10 year prison sentence and gave Joshua Schmidt 4 years probation instead if Schmidt completes the 4 years of probation the uh, sentence disappears if he were to violate the probation Schmidt could go to prison for 10 years but he wouldn't have to serve that full term by the way Schmidt also sentenced According to uh, exploreokaboji.com, Schmidt also sentenced for escaping the Pocahontas County Jail last September. Yeah, he escaped ran away for two days before he was captured. Uh, and apparently that, too. Not enough to put Mr. Schmidt behind bars. Just a slap on the wrist, don't do it again, and uh, go about your business. Uh, today's Armed Citizen story, kind of a, a breaking story. We actually don't have a ton of information uh, about this, but uh, it's out of Nevada where the uh, Douglas County Sheriff is investigating a uh, early Wednesday morning shooting at a a home in Gardnerville, Nevada. According to a news release, it was approximately four o'clock in the morning. Sheriff's deputies responded uh, to this home on reports of a male subject entering a residence who had been shot by the homeowner. The uh, suspect transported for their injuries currently listed as stable. I don't know the extent of their injuries. Uh, The Douglas County Sheriff's Office says there is no threat to the community at this time. So, again, we we don't know uh, a lot of details here other than somebody who tried to get into this home who apparently didn't live there, wasn't supposed to be there, was shot by one of the uh, residents inside who did have the right to be there. We'll try to bring you more details uh, as they become available, but uh, that is what we know at the moment out of Douglas County, Nevada. And finally today, our good deed of the day, featuring this good dog, Lollipop. Lollipop saved a life this weekend. Lollipop is a canine unit at the University of Illinois. And uh, Saturday morning, Urbana, Illinois, police officers responded to a 911 call. There was a man inside a bus shelter who was holding a knife. And threatening suicide. He actually had cut and stabbed himself in front of police, according to a press release. Urbana police ended up speaking to this guy for about an hour or so, trying to calm him down. Um, and at one point, they learned that um, this guy liked dogs. So the Urbana police department reached out to Alex Transwis. He is a uh, police officer at the University of Illinois. He was off duty. He's at home with Lollipop. And uh they said, Listen, do you think maybe you could bring Lollipop by and um and and help us out here? And he said, Yes, I can. So please told the guy, look, we, we've got a friend coming. Um, why don't you have a smoke? And when my our friend gets here, you can hang out and talk to Lollipop if, if you want, but you gotta drop the knife first. So when Transwiss and Lollipop arrived, the uh, troubled individual Did surrender the knife, did get a chance to spend a couple of uh, minutes there with lollipop before an ambulance took him to the hospital to be assessed. According to uh, Alice Carey, who's the police chief there at the University of Illinois, the uh, canine officers have not actually been on campus all that long. July of last year is when they arrived, so less than a year. And she said the therapy canines and their handlers have made a huge impact in just the short time that they've been in Champaign and Urbana. Already they've comforted families involved in a Christmas Eve fire, participated in the interview of a young victim of child abuse, and now helped Urbana police to successfully de-escalate a very serious call uh, involving an armed individual. So, it wasn't that Alex Transwis was in the right place at the right time. He was at home on his day off. But he got to the right place, and he got there in time, along with Lollipop. And the two of them able to do the right thing, and uh, hopefully get this gentleman the help that he needs, and I hope that that uh, gentleman who was uh, taken for an assessment, I hope that he does get treatment. I hope that he is uh, back out soon, healthy, happy, I hope he gets a chance to uh, spend a little bit more time with lollipop if he wants. that is got to do it for this edition of bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program as always don't forget uh you can become a Bearing Arms VIP Gold member, and that gives you exclusive access to commentary, analysis, uh, stories you won't get anywhere else. And you can do that by going to BarionArms.com slash subscribe. Uh, You can also use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your VIP membership. We certainly do appreciate your support. Uh, If you even want to go beyond that, you can become a VIP Gold member. That'll get you access to exclusive content, not only at BarionArms.com, but at TownHall.com, Twitchy, Hot Air, Red State, PJ Media. I'm doing a live chat today with Julio Rosas from Town Hall. That's available for our VIP Gold members and again the the support that you give us uh, allows us to continue to bring you the 2nd news and information that we do on a daily basis. So I, I really do sincerely thank you for your support. It means an absolute lot to us uh, here at Bearing Arms. Uh, don't forget as well, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss an episode of Bearing Arms Cam & Company. Or you can go to Rumble.com, just look for Bearing Arms Cam & Company there. You can look up Bearing Arms Cam & Company on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the townhall.com podcast page. We've got plenty of ways for you to find us, and we're glad that you have found us. Thank you for spreading the word as well. Hopefully you have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. We will be back with more of the latest 2nd Amendment news and information all across the nation on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but check out bearingarms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest news impacting your right to keep and bear arms. And until we speak again, be well, be safe, and be free.